Well, good morning, everyone. Just have to level with you all. I have construction on the brain. Um, I have been involved over the last few months with so many construction projects that I kind of, my head spins knowing what I'm actually talking about at any given time, helping uh, mom build her vacation house up in Montana over the last year that's actually almost done, almost done. We're doing renovations to our backyard, which is a big deal. Uh, that's been you know a few months back that we got that completed. We're now, right, we literally, this morning, as, I was, as we were walking out of the house this morning, two guys were cutting a giant hole in the back of my house. Like, that is kind of what's going on in my brain right now. Drywall, dust, and things everywhere. And as I think about that, I think about this phrase that we have used so often in construction projects over the last few months. And it's this word, oops. <laughs> You ever have this happen where, where you come home at the end of the day and you see that, oh, well, somebody drywalled over that thing which shouldn't have been drywalled over. Oops. Uh, the very first time we walked mom's house up in Montana a few months ago, uh, the first time I had gotten a chance to see it, we're walking through and we're looking around and, wow, this is amazing. Look at all the walls and the texture and, wait, what is that? We started noticing that every electrical outlet, every light switch, Every ethernet jack in the entire house was almond colored. And not white, like we originally ordered. Oops. And so somebody had to go back through and fix it all. You know, go through and rewire the entire house because somebody chose almond instead of white. And for me, like I have this phrase in my brain that I use all the time. And every time I see something not done the way that it should have been done, I say, oops. And so here's what happened when we were driving up a couple of weeks ago to Montana to go see mom and to go help her move all of her stuff from her old vacation house to her new vacation house and get her all settled in and everything. We were driving on this 18-hour drive, and I see this billboard on the side of the road through about, I think, Utah. And the billboard said, oops. <laughs> and it just resonated with me. I was like, oh, oh, I... I I feel that so deeply. But you know what it said oops about? It was an advertisement for a divorce lawyer. And this was the graphic that they used. Oops. Now there is a costly mistake when somebody miswires your entire house with almond colored uh, fixtures and they have to go back through and fix that. Oops. There's a difference when somebody drywalls over something that they shouldn't have drywalled over. Oops. But it is not the same category of problems when your marriage ends in divorce. That is not an oops kind of situation. But of course, you know, the divorce lawyer was basically advertising that, well, you've made a mistake, and just like you know, hiring somebody to come in and fix it for you or redo the drywall or whatever, you can just easily fix this situation by getting a divorce. And that is sort of the way that our culture has described or defined marriage nowadays, nowadays that it's, it's not important, it's not a serious thing, and really, it's not going to be a costly mistake. Oops, let's move on. And so I wanted to talk for a little bit because I had, you know, 18 hours in the, in the truck driving as I was thinking about this billboard 
and thinking about this phrase, and I was thinking to myself, you know, what, does, what do we learn about the seriousness of marriage? And maybe some mistakes, some challenges that, that we can learn from, from the Bible. And I'll also just kind of loop you in on a little fact for me personally. Uh, we spent just actually two or three days after I saw this, we spent our 20th wedding anniversary in Montana, up there. And so I'm thinking about marriage, I'm seeing a billboard about marriage, and I'm seeing how flippantly marriage is treated nowadays. And so let's talk about that, because, you know, as I'm thinking about 20 years ago me, I was like on this row here. I was newly in college. I was just home from school. You know, I, I, I'd basically just spent one year in college, and I saw this girl. <laughs> And I made a decision a year later to say I do. Is that an oops decision? It wasn't for me. Shockingly enough, me in that you know, young age, I made a non-oops decision. I made the right decision because I thought about it ahead of time and I prepared myself for that moment. And so I think before we get into a situation where we, where we commit ourselves to a lifelong bond with somebody, we need to do some serious soul searching about how, how seriously we take that relationship. So marriage, that's really the topic for today. And the big idea in this lesson that is that I think if we miss the warning signs, if we're unwilling to see some of the warning signs about our potential partner or our, our, of ourselves, that we may wind up having a spouse who's more of a hindrance than a help. That's, that's the focus. And you can probably talk to people who look at that kind of a billboard that says, oops, and they say, I'm going to call those guys. You can probably talk to somebody like that and see that they have an out. They believe they have an out. But we're going to talk for a little bit this morning about the seriousness of marriage. And it shouldn't be a surprise that marriage is a serious thing. But we're going to talk for just a little bit to see, you know, before... The, the, before the oops, before the call to the divorce lawyer, before you actually even say I do, are there some warning signs that we can key into early on to make sure we know whether we're making the right decision? And so we're going to start just a little bit. Before the wedding, before the, before the I do, what are some warning signs that can help key us off to know whether this is a good relationship for us to be in or not? Or even whether we ourselves are prepared to make that kind of commitment, that kind of lifelong commitment that we need to make. You know, is this something that we should be doing? Is this something that we should be participating in? And let me just say, when you get into a situation where you meet somebody, logic flies out the window, right? You've been in that. You've been in that mode, maybe some of you, some of you shaking your head. Yes, logic flies out the window because, oh, look at this person. And you get so excited and you stop thinking. And, and even sometimes when people come to you and they talk to you and they, they try to encourage you, like you don't want to hear, you don't want to listen. And so, you know, before the wedding, before all of the things, before you really start getting into that place where you've locked in and you're committed to it, Maybe we need to start thinking about some warning signs ahead of time. And fortunately, the Bible is absolutely chock full of examples of terrible marriages. Believe it or not. Obviously, there are some examples, many examples of very good, strong marriages. 
But there's a whole lot of examples of not very good marriages, and so maybe think about this first example. What if you find yourself saying, oh, they're so attractive? That is one of the first warning signs, I think. Now, I am not saying, like that old song, you know, never make a pretty woman your wife. I've had that song stuck in my head the last couple of days. I'm not saying that you cannot marry a pretty person, a handsome man, a beautiful woman. I mean, obviously, I married a, a very attractive person well over my status, clearly. But if you're the kind of person who's so focused on attraction and what somebody looks like, if that's your drive, if that's your motivation, put yourself in Potiphar's wife in her shoes. You remember Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39, as she with Joseph you know, saw his beautiful appearance and wanted to lie with him, wanted to commit adultery with him. And if you're the kind of person who's always, who's always chasing the attraction, let me just level with you. I've been married for 20 years, so I think I can say this at this point. When, when you get older, things change. <laughs> you are not as attractive as you used to be. Now, you are attractive in many different ways, clearly, but you, know, you will look back at pictures of yourself a long time ago, and you'll be like, oh, man, I looked so much better back then, or you know, whatever it is. Maybe, maybe you'll say that. I don't know. But if you're the kind of person who's always chasing attraction, then you are going to be sorely disappointed when you spend 20 years, 30 years, 40 years with somebody, and you're still looking at the physical attraction piece of it. And if that's your mindset, I think that's a warning sign. I think that's a warning sign for you, like Potiphar's wife who was chasing the next attractive thing, the next attractive person on the horizon. And obviously we know that Potiphar's wife was not was not faithful to her husband. She wanted to commit adultery with Joseph, but clearly Joseph had other intentions. So for us, I think it's important for us to really think seriously about our motivation in being with somebody. Is it because we're attracted to them? And is that really it? Like, is that the substance of what we, of what we want out of a relationship because we think they're pretty? And I picked that first, by the way, because I think that's one of the very first things that we see in somebody is their attractiveness. That's why they call it love at first sight, not love at first really long conversation about the Bible, right? We, 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 we see somebody and it becomes, it becomes an attraction almost instantly in some cases, in many cases. And so I think this is something right off the bat to get serious about when you find yourself being so enamored with how pretty somebody is, maybe, maybe think about yourself Maybe check yourself and check your motivations and learn the lesson, I think, from Potiphar's wife and that relationship that they had. But then I think we can ask ourselves whether or not we, we find them being so loyal and supportive. Oh, oh, this person of the, that I'm so interested in, this, this partner I want to spend my life with, they are so loyal and so supportive. They'll stick by me 24-7. No matter what happens, they'll always be with me. They're on my side. They're in my camp. They've got my back. Now, I am not saying that having a person like that is not a good thing. Please understand me. Having a person who's got your back, who is loyal to you, who is supportive to you, is super important. But are they always going to be like that? 
You can have somebody who's loyal to you in, in maybe a small way or upfront, but are they gonna stick with you when times get tough? And it's really the question that I ask about Job and his wife, because clearly we find that Job, in Job, in Job chapter two, verse nine, after everything has just fallen apart, he now has to listen to his wife who tells him to curse God and die. Now that is not the kind of loyal and supportive partner I wanna spend my life with. Somebody who tells me to tell God to go away. That's not, that's not who I want to spend my life with. And is there a warning sign you can key off of early on dating somebody? Is this person really going to stick with me? And not only with me, is this person going to stick with the Lord? No matter what happens, is this potential future partner going to be faithful to God? Are they going to be loyal? And it may not be entirely obvious, but just because they're loyal, just because they're supportive and they've got your back one time, that doesn't mean they're going to be like that forever. And you need to start keying in on that fact. When you start getting interested in somebody, is this person going to stand by the Lord? And that should be a really good indicator as to whether or not you need to continue that relationship. Because I'm sure Job at that moment really did not enjoy having to listen to his own wife telling him, to abandon God. Everybody has their threshold for sure, but Job's wife did not have a very high threshold for faithfulness, and especially the way that she dealt with her husband. But third thing I think maybe we should just get clear on, uh, on how independent our potential future mate might be. Oh, they're so independent. Oh, they've just got everything figured out. Look at them. They're going off and doing their thing. It's almost like they don't even need me here. You know, they've, they, they don't rely on me. They're not like, you know, asking me all the time to do stuff for them. They're just out doing it. Look at them. I, you know, I haven't seen her in like two weeks, you know, because she's just going out and doing her thing, which is kind of a weird, like, it's a weird thing to think about. But I think in our culture today, with everybody being so independent and having their own lives and everybody being, you know, kind of their own captain of their own lives nowadays, you're going to run into this more, where you're going to find people who don't, who don't depend on somebody, who don't rely on somebody, who aren't really emotionally connected or, or even emotionally available to other people. And so maybe you start asking yourself, do I really want to spend my life with somebody who's actually happier being away from me than with me? And that's actually what happened with Hosea and Gomer, which is a totally interesting story, obviously, when you go back and you read Hosea, and you see that God told Hosea to go marry a wife of whoredom, like Gomer was, and constantly, over and over again, you see Hosea having to go chase her down and pull her back in as a, as a testament to how God felt about Israel's rejection of him. But Gomer was perfectly fine being away from Hosea which obviously mimics Israel's acceptance or, or being perfectly happy being away from the Lord God. But do you want to be yoked to a person who doesn't really want to be around you or who doesn't really need you or doesn't want you? We were just talking about it the other day. You know, I, I have this job in our house that nobody has defined. I, I've never, we've never really discussed it in any detail or, or codified it in any way. But I am the human in our house that goes and gets milk. 
<laughs> That's me. That's what I do. And Sherilyn will never ask me explicitly to go get milk. She just says, there's no milk in the fridge. I'd, I'd really, I need some milk. I, 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 I would have cereal today, but there's no milk. And so she'll point it out over and over again, but she'll never ask me, go get milk. But I'm the one who goes and gets the milk, eventually, after you know a few reminders on her part. But we were talking about that the other day, and she said, you know, I depend on you for a lot. And that's this point. You want somebody who depends on you in some ways. Obviously, you don't want them to have to have you around all the time to do everything for them, but you want to be able to count on somebody. And if they don't want to be around you, or they're off living their own lives, or it's basically like you have a roommate in your house rather than a spouse or a partner, you need to start thinking more seriously about who you're involved with. So, maybe that's a warning sign for us. Oh, they're such a positive person. They can turn my frown upside down. I'm sure Ahab said about Jezebel. As Ahab wanted to buy Naboth's field, if you'll remember, back in 1 Kings chapter 21. He wanted to buy the field. He wanted to pay good money for it. And Naboth said, no way, Jose. I would never give away my family's possession to you. And he went home and pouted. And Ahab the king is pouting. And who comes in to cheer him up? But Jezebel, you're the king. Eat some food. Put a smile on your face. I'll get you the land. And she devised a plan to make it happen. You know, there are some people who just want to make other people happy, no matter what. No matter what the cost, no matter what it means, they just want to make other people happy and satisfy them. They are people pleasers to the nth degree. And that feels good when you've got somebody in your life who just wants to make you happy. But be careful. If that person is trying to make you happy or willing to make you happy in ways that don't fit with God's design for what makes us happy. Because obviously Jezebel, well, if you really categorize wives and husbands and their relationships, probably one of the worst ones. Probably one of, one of the worst marriages that could have existed. Jezebel was terrible. Ahab was terrible. I mean, eventually he did come back to the Lord, shockingly. But Jezebel, I mean, but she just wanted to make her husband happy. And don't we all want that sometimes? Don't we all want a partner or a spouse who just, oh man, they, they, they want to make me happy. Well, be, be watchful for that. Not to say that, that our, our, our wife or our husband's happiness is not important to us. Of course it is. Of course it is. But let's, let's make sure that we put the Lord's word ahead and let's make sure that we're not willing to do whatever it takes to make our spouse happy. Oh, they're so wealthy and they're so important. I'm sure Abigail thought about, Na about Nabal at some point. Oh, he's so important. Nabal, look at him. He's, he's got all of this money. He's got all of these fields. And as we see later on, Nabal in that story in 1 Samuel chapter 25, he is hosting a party for himself as if he were a king. But Nabal, as you'll remember in that story, was a fool. And he did foolish things. And he dealt with the king, the future king, David, in a very foolish way. And basically told David to go pound sand and go away. 
And as David was about ready to destroy Nabal and everything, Abigail comes out, and poor, poor Abigail. I love her so much. You know, I, I am married to an Abigail because I am Nabal sometimes. I mean, I do things, and I stick my foot in my mouth, and I have to have the Abigail come in and rescue me from my own situation so many times. But Abigail does an amazing job of, of sort of painting over, covering Nabal. But you know, wealth and, and pride and position, they look really attractive, don't they? Oh, they'll be such a great provider. They'll take such great care of me. Oh, never mind the fact that he, his name means fool. <laughs> you know, never mind the fact that he's just ridiculous and nobody appreciates him and, he, and he's so arrogant and nobody actually likes him. Oh, but he'll take care of me. Yeah, that's a big warning sign. Big warning sign. And maybe Abigail, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure she kicked herself a lot after the fact, having been coupled to a man like Nabal. This one was one of my favorites, by the way. They are always on board with my plans. They agree with everything I say. And here's the, the, the situation that I always think about when I think about Ananias and Sapphira. Obviously, in Acts chapter 5, we get this picture of what happens to them as they both come and independently report how much money they had actually sold a piece of land for and then are consequently struck down by the Holy Spirit and killed. So they both lied independently, but how did they get to that lie originally? Sitting around the breakfast table, talking to each other. Hey, Sapphira, I got this plan. So we said we're going to sell the, the piece of land for this much, but let's just tell the apostles that we only sold it for this much. You good with that? Oh, I'm totally good with that. I love that plan, Ananias. And I, as your wife, Sapphira, I'm going to just support that completely. Okay, great, Sapphira. Thank you so much. Let's go and tell the, the apostles. I mean, they had to have a conversation about this ahead of time, right? They had to talk about it. They had to confer with each other. And then independently, they both gave the same story and were both killed. But oh, I'm sure at the time they just felt so good about how supportive they were and how much they were, they were you know, they had each other's backs and, and they agreed with me. You know what? You know what I love is somebody who agrees with me. Especially when it's my wife. Especially when it's the person I have to spend all of my time with. When she agrees with me, everything is fine. Except there are times where she should not agree with me where I need somebody to check myself before I wreck myself. I need somebody who actually can tell me to my face, I hear what you're saying, but that's a dumb idea. And if you're, if you're thinking about marrying somebody who is a yes person, watch out. Because you may find yourself in the same situation as Ananias and Sapphira did, as they both had a really dumb idea and nobody checked them, Nobody checked their partner before they brought that idea to the apostles. So, the last one is obviously ridiculous. <laughs> but I think it, it does tie into our, uh, I don't know, our, our sense of home, right? Our sense of home is so often defined by a meal, by homemaking, by providing. And I think a lot of times we might just be 
totally enamored by the fact that somebody, well, some, somebody is such a great cook, or somebody, somebody is such a good you know, person who does handyman work around the house, or whatever it is. Oh, they take such great care of the home. They put, they put so much thought into it. And obviously, you know, as the example of Adam and Eve go, you know, one of the first marriage, the first marriage, clearly, uh, did not really work out so well as Eve did something that she shouldn't have done. But again, you know, I think that it's important for us to make sure in all of these things, these are all good things, by the way, to have somebody who's attractive, who agrees with us, who, who really supports us, who's loyal to us, you know, who, who works hard to make us happy, and all these things we've talked about, these are all important things. But I think they're red herrings sometimes. They're, they're diversions or distractions from a deeper relationship that we ought to have with people, from a deeper relationship that we ought to be looking for with somebody. So let me just finish off this lesson, because I know we used seven examples just really quickly, and we probably could have used more, but let's just look at a couple reminders from Scripture so that we can kind of nail some of these things home. If you had to put all of these examples kind of into one sort of succinct set of, of things to remember, here's, here's what I want you to remember. Who you marry matters. That's not a popular thing to say. And I'm sure even by saying it this morning, I'm probably making some people uncomfortable. Because marriage is a sensitive topic. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay saying that. I'm okay saying that marriage matters. And you know why I'm okay saying it? Because that is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. When Jesus taught about marriage and divorce, when he was asked the question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, Jesus laid the gauntlet down and said that there is only one reason for divorce. There's only one reason. There's not an oops kind of reason. There's only one reason, and it's a serious reason. And as Jesus laid that, that statement down, his disciples in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 19 said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. The very first reaction that his disciples had after Jesus laying the gauntlet down about marriage is to say, uh, I think I'm going to stay single. Which tells me that it's a serious thing. And if this is the only teaching we had on it, I think this would be enough. But look back to those seven examples, and you see somebody's life, you see somebody's entire livelihood just completely, completely destroyed by the person they marry. It's, it's, it's serious. Marriage matters. Who you marry matters, because as we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Verses 14 to 15, Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Again, this is a verse that is not popular to read in the Lord's church because we did not all marry believers. Now, there are plenty of other examples in Scripture that you can go to to talk about someone who has married an unbeliever, and we will get there in just a second. But if you are looking for somebody to marry ahead of time, and you have, you have prepared yourself in advance, 
And that's really what this whole lesson is about, preparing ourselves before we say I do, so that we don't have an oops later on. One of the best things we can do is think seriously about who we're marrying and whether or not they're going to be faithful to the Lord. Because who you marry matters. Who you spend every moment of your life with matters. Who you can confide in, who you can trust, who you, who you absolutely know has your back and will stand by you and the Lord, and really the Lord first, no matter what. And I say that to then lead us to the second question. You know, but Brian, people can change, can't they? They absolutely can. And I, and I do completely agree with that fact, that people can change, because 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we read in our reading not very long ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as Paul is really talking about marriage here in this section, and he's dealing with the uncomfortable situation of people who have married unbelievers. And what do we do in that situation? What, what should we do in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16? Paul goes on to say, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? He's saying, if you are married to somebody who is not a believer, you stay in that marriage. So it's not to say that marrying an unbeliever is just completely an anathema and you shouldn't ever do it. The statement is, if you're married to somebody who is an unbeliever, you stay faithful. You stay in that marriage, and as he says, you may be able to change them. You may be able to convince them to come to the Lord. Do you want to live your life by a who knows, though? Who knows, as he goes on to say here. For how do you know? Well, you don't know that you're going to be able to change your spouse. And that's what Peter actually deals with in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of, our, of their wives. You marry somebody who's not a believer. You may be able to change them. You may be able to pull them to a relationship with the Lord but don't count on it. Don't bank on that being the case. I pray that you can, and I pray that your spouse will see the, the value and importance of coming to the Lord. I pray that for you. But make sure you're, you're going in eyes wide open, knowing who you're committing to spend your time with. The last point, just really quickly. For all of us here who have been married for any length of time, it would be nice for us to just say of our spouse, well, I wish they were different. Oh, boy. There's so many things that I'm sure Sherilyn could talk to you all about, about how she wished I would be different. And I could probably tell you all of them. But what we can do and what we can control is ourselves. We change what we do, not what other people do, even our spouse. And so you need to be the kind of spouse that you're actually looking for. And that is, I think, what Paul was explaining in part in Ephesians chapter 5 as he's going on to talk about Christ and the church and how Christ died for the church, gave himself for the church. He says this mystery is profound, and he's saying, however, let each of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
the instruction at the end of this verse is not for your spouse to be a better person. It's for you to be a better spouse. You love your wife. You respect your husband. And I think we all can take that on. I think we all can look at passages like 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, which talk in great detail about how we live in our homes, how we present ourselves, what we do. And we can take that mantle on and say, today, I am not going to demand my spouse do something differently. Today, I'm going to be the person I want them to be. Today, I'm going to be the best version of a husband that I can be. Today, I'm going to be more like Jesus in my sacrificial living. Today, I'm going to be more respectful of my husband and his decisions and the, and the way that he leads our home. Today, I will commit myself to this relationship. And that's all you can change. And so in this lesson, clearly, as you are thinking about ma being married someday, or if you're already married, I think what all of us can do is make sure we're focused on ourselves. Make sure we're the best husband or wife or potential future husband or wife that we can be. Because while it's easy to hire an electrician to come in and replace almond-colored outlets in your house after you said, oops, marriage matters. And it's not as easy to fix a broken home than it would be to, to uncover that drywall that they had covered over. So think seriously about marriage. Look at the Bible. Ask other people. Encourage other people to make good decisions about who they're going to marry in the future. It's a sensitive subject, and it may very well be an uncomfortable conversation to have with somebody. And I'm sure I have made a few people uncomfortable today, even in just talking about this. But I want you to understand that the Lord values who we marry and really wants us to make good decisions. And if we learn anything from the Bible, it's that what we do matters. And today, if you are not a child of the Lord's, today, if you've not committed your life to a, a relationship with God's, then you, you're not in that relationship with him. Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. And if you're willing to respond in faithfulness, in baptism, in repentance of your sins today, to start a new journey with him, to become his children, then we'd love to help you do that. Please come as we stand and sing.